All right, guys, today is the day, January 22nd. My online course valued is now live. This is critical. We're offering $100 off, $100 discount for the next few days. So make sure you take advantage of this. Now, what is it? You've heard me talk about this again and again in the podcast. Guys, this is the first guide for strength and conditioning professionals and personal trainers. You can lump yourself in there too and physical therapists that guide you through the sticking points in your career, whether that's about finances, whether that's how to get certain jobs, whether how to manage burnout, whether that's running a business. Uh, Even those of you that have written in and said, hey, you know, I, I feel like I invested tons of time in the technical knowledge and expertise, but I'm just not valued. Guys, that's why the name of the course is Valued. We're addressing how you can overcome those things. We're trying to teach you how you can show or explain or demonstrate true value to your employer, either current or eventual. And most importantly, how you can get over the anxiety of asking for what you're worth. If you have all the foundations and the technical expertise and you apply those things ethically, you should never be ashamed of that. So we brought coaches in from a variety of different backgrounds, different genders, different viewpoints, whatever, to give you as many tactical pieces as possible. I get sent at least 30 to 40 DMs a day of saying, what advice do you have for me in your your career or in my career, sorry, and what can I do? And guys, this is it. So almost in perpetuity, you're going to get this reply. I try to, I try not to plant a bunch of shrubs. When I do something, I try to plant an oak, right? And so if I get a question that's asked again and again and again, I am going to do my best to provide one hell of a resource. Am I perfect? No. Do I have all the answers? No. Does it mean that I don't have struggles in my own career? No. None of that is... The point is, is we're giving you real tips. We're giving you a blueprint. Nobody's ever going to have the full answer for everything. But what's the alternative, guys? What do you have to go off of now? A bunch of sound bites on Instagram, a bunch of videos on YouTube where people kind of just go over baseline, like base tips that you already know, but don't give you a step-by-step guide. Valued, which is open today, gives you that step-by-step how-to guide to manage all these different aspects of your career. So check out the show notes. Go to artofcoaching.com or you can go to valuedcourse.com. Get it right now while it lasts at this discount. It's critical, 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 and it's something that we're truly proud of. All right, I'm going to let you go. Enjoy this episode with Nathan Parnum, and don't forget, the next few days, $100 off, valued. Check it out now and tell a friend. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I'm here today with my friend, Nathan Parnum. Nate, what up? Hey, you go, man. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to hear from you as well. I feel like anytime we talk, I'm usually in Australia, so it's nice to chat a little bit outside of those confines and be able to just catch up a little bit more formally, but also let other people eavesdrop on our talk. 
Yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, no, looking forward to it and great to hear from you too. Thanks for inviting me on. My pleasure. Guys, if I was bringing Nate into your living room or dining room to introduce you, it simply put, Nate is the athletic development coach for the Australian Women's Sevens Rugby Team. He's got an extensive background in the development space spanning over 15 years. Uh, although you wouldn't know it from looking at him, I'm pretty sure that he's got an extensive, probably obsessive uh, skin regimen because Nate looks like he just looks so young. I, I don't know if anybody listening has seen American Psycho, but when Christian Bale puts on that mask at the beginning, right? That, that's I think that's your regimen. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let, let me finish. Let me finish the introduction before you pipe up, Nate. Okay, <laughs> Nate has set up two uh, high school programs. He's consulted for other amateur and professional athletes in a variety of sports. And really, like what connected Nate and I is he's most passionate about really being in all aspects of development to professional sport. We've talked about this on the podcast before. A lot of times people just kind of get their sights set on one thing, not realizing that full-blown coach or leadership development comes from coaching a wide spectrum. So that's Nate in a nutshell. Buddy, anything I missed? Uh, no, no, you're probably giving it some GST as well. Well, that's tax in Australia here. So yeah, well done. I'll, yeah. I'll take that introduction. Good, man. The, in, the, <laughs> the invoice is on its way. So Nate, <laughs> like, you know, when we first connected, we, we were both working a, a good bit in the MMA space and, uh, you know, working with fighters. Can you just to jump into that a little bit? Cause I, it's always interesting to the listeners. Can you talk about some of the work that you've done with fighters as well and how that evolved? And then we'll talk about some of your other experiences. Yeah, sure. So uh, I originally got into, you know, the whole sports science field through training myself, like a lot of other people. And at the time, my older brother was competing professionally in Muay Thai. And I just love the, you know, the whole um, regiment of training and just trying to find the answers to things. And that's how I kind of really immersed myself into training and became like every other kind of S&C coach, just obsessed with it. Uh, so I tinkered with a few things throughout his career. And he went on to live in Thailand for several years and come back and open a gym. And so he's in his 10th year now of his Muay Thai gym, which is quite successful in New South Wales. And uh, I've worked with several of his fighters along the way. And it's just exciting to see the evolution of the fight game full stop, whether it be MMA, Muay Thai, boxing, uh, because traditionally, you know, there wasn't a lot of information out there and it was quite old school and everyone kind of stayed in their lane. But with the evolution of MMA, it's, uh, it's certainly blown up and, and people are kind of looking for ideas and, yeah, it's evolvingly at a massive rate. And yeah, it's certainly an area that I'm really passionate about. I don't work so much in it these days, but it's something that uh, I definitely keep my finger on the pulse and yeah, keep an eye out for things along the way too. Yeah, excellent context. And guys, if you're listening to this, uh, by the time this drops, we will already have released an episode with Duncan French uh, from the UFC, who's talked extensively about kind of the fight game and some of the research and facts and myths there. So make sure you go back and listen to that episode. Now, Nate, with that, you know, just talking about career progression, you having done so much and exposed yourself to so many different realms and, and aspects of SNC. First of all, why did you wa want to do that? Why did you want to go, okay, now I've worked with kids and I've done this, and then now you went into pro sport, and then what made you now uh, go into the Australian women's sevens rugby team? Were these all just, is this ADD? Can you not make up your mind? Or there, were these just, <laughs> were these unique opportunities that came about in, in a different way? No, I think it's, it's more about just being the evolution of a coach. I'm sure that, you know, anyone who would have asked me at the time when I was at university, what do you want to do? I, you know, blindedly, I would have just said, no doubt, yeah, I'm going to work in professional sport, thinking that I was going to get a job in the next year or two after university. And it was more a matter of just taking every job as it came along. And 
I did personal training for several years along the way to make ends meet throughout university and then after university as well, which led to running gyms and, and being a manager in that aspect. And uh, throughout that time, then any opportunity to actually work in the athletic space, I, I took it. So, you know, that quite often comes in the development space and people have aspirations of the light at the end of the tunnel being working in professional sport, but it's a be all and end all. But the ironic thing with me is that the best kind of journey that I've been on, the biggest lessons I've learned were along the way throughout that in honing my craft. So, um, you know, I ended up spending quite a long time in the development space and it's one of those things that I never aspired to work in it, but it's certainly one of those things that I'm extremely passionate about because I think you can make a, an extremely big uh, gain, A, from an athletic development perspective, but B, um, you know, the impact that you can make on these individuals as human beings is, is something that extremely drives me. So, yeah, that's how I've kind of eventuated to where I am now. And, and one thing I wanted to ask you within that is what are some things that you experienced? Uh, let's, let's take three of these experiences. Let's uh, take maybe working with youth. Let's do the, the women's Aussie rules uh, or the, uh, sorry, the rugby sevens. And then let's go professional sport. What was one thing, and it doesn't have to be like the thing, Nate, it can just be one thing that surprised you the most out of working with those populations thus far. Something that you were like, wow, I didn't think I was going to have to to deal with this or I, I maybe wasn't as prepared for this at that time. Is is there anything that you can recall? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say just, uh, I suppose it's just the mindset. So for me, you know, I'm continually evolving as a coach and uh, it's kind of taken me a few hurdles along the way and, and just different experiences to realize that how I think, in which case I might think or previously would think is the norm, in many instances, isn't necessarily the norm. So uh, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that I'm an outlier here, but if we go back to the examples of what you're talking about, in the youth space, I went in, into it specifically looking at you know training and how we can get the adaptations and all those sort of things. But then it was all the other uh, elements that you know you've often like we we don't like saying soft skills, but it's those the art of coaching in itself, whereby with the youth side of it, uh, I started to become really humbled by the impact that I could have on these uh, youth lives through different experiences. So for me, that was what you know. Eventually, it, it, I kind of took it a detour in that it wasn't I started out with the athletic development side of it and it was more the impact that I was having that really made me kind of you know get up in the morning and get excited to go to work so that was the first thing with the youth side of it um in the where I am now with the women's side of it in the Australian rugby women sevens is uh that you know there's different ways and different motivations that uh different genders respond to training so throughout working you know with youth I, I definitely worked across both genders and and it allowed me to see the, the nuances between the two that I liked, you know, in the women's uh, arena and, and in the men's arena as well. The different pieces that, that I feel as a coach work differently and, and the athletes responded differently. So that's been really interesting to see for me and certainly has benefited me now to the role that I'm in. Uh, and then in the, the third one that you mentioned too was... Um, which area was that again? Sorry, the professional side of it? Yeah, you covered the youth, you covered the women's and now getting into the professional side. Yeah, so the professional side is, it's a, it's a light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of people and it certainly was for me and, and I've probably come into it later than what a lot of other people do but the, the beauty of that journey is I think is my accumulative experiences along the way has allowed me to, to be a little bit more of an experienced coach and, and situations that aren't necessarily within that athletic development uh, space. It's, it's the, the other skills that 
my management experience to, you know, the, whether it be the personal training side of it in the early days of my career to um, even now just the, the, the cross-gender side of things is, is something that, that really excites me. And the, the professional space is something that, um, you know, if you want to test yourself in the ultimate arena, that's where it's at. You know, if your livelihood's on the line and the team's not doing too well, then it's certainly something that it allows you to reevaluate and continually tinker along the way of how you can hone your craft. But not only that, try and get the best out of the team and the staff that's around you as well. Now, I'm, you, that's first of all, awesome answers to all those questions. I appreciate you not just going, you know, kind of floundering about and giving something that's pretty quotidian. I do want to really lock into one thing though. And I think it's going to drive some great debate, great discussion. I mean, there's people, we, we all know that we have to like, we live in a world right now where it's like, Oh, you got to be really careful about what you say. Right. And, uh, people tend to take things out of context and what have you. I'd be interested, Nate, in your opinion, is there a difference between coaching male and female athletes? And with that, you know, it, it's unique because at the time we're recording this, I saw somebody the other day even just say, I'm tired of people responding to them as male and female athletes, like they're different organisms. They're, like somebody got really heated. They're like, can't we just say athlete or this and that? We, we don't need to go into that if you don't want to, but I would like to know your take on, is there a difference between coaching male and female athletes on the whole? And then what's been your experience? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm certainly not going to dance around it because I don't think we need to. So, First and foremost, yeah, they are athletes and, and they all, you know, should be treated equal in that way. There's, there's certainly no doubt about that. Uh, given that you're asking my opinion on it, that I, I personally feel from my experience over the years that there's certain things that make male athletes tick and there's certain things that make female athletes tick. So that's just adjusting to the environment that you're in. Uh, the best example I could probably give for you to put it into context and for the listeners out there is if you look at, um, from a competition side of things. So if there's a warm-up, like the pre-game ritual and stuff like that, I'll refer to contact sport. So in a male environment in the change room, it's almost like an eerie sense of, uh, I don't like it when we refer to things about war and battle, but there is an eerie sense of you see strange behaviours from certain athletes within the group. So what I mean by that is uh, some people who you may deem to be quite introverted and quite quiet actually become quite vocal um, and really high energy. And then you see other people become almost withdrawn in that too. So, um, you know, I've been in environments where we separate the change room to kind of really harness um, or harness, sorry, different individual athletes and, and how they respond in order to get themselves up for the game. Uh, if you flip that over to in the female environment, which is something that I've only learned recently, particularly here in this role, which I find absolutely fascinating is the girls will be dancing around and, you know, singing songs and all these sort of things and having a lot of real good feel-good vibes going. And, and they're contact athletes as well. So they're coming out to a contact sport. But to me, the men have responded very different in that they're almost, it's almost a lot more of an aggressively driven uh, motivation to perform. Uh, whereas women, it's about a feel-good vibe and their positivity in doing that allows them to go out and, and perform at their best. So uh, if that was in, you know, because I sit there and I'll, and I'll watch how we perform and stuff like that. And, and like I said, I generally find it fascinating because if you were to flip the script on it and you put that into a, you know, a male's professional team environment across a variety of different codes, some coaches might walk into the change room and absolutely lose their stack and think, you know, 
what are you guys doing? Are we switched on? Are we really into it? Are, you know, are you focused on it? Are you honed into what you're about to go into? But the reality of it is I see the girls do it and I find it, I think it's unreal. Like it's a real feel-good vibe and they get positive results from it. So is it wrong? Absolutely not. It's, it's whatever it takes to get people up. And, you know, whether that's a gender thing or not, I, I, for me, from my experience, I just feel that the, the preparation in that side of things for competition is, is very different. Uh, the other side to it too that to me stands out night and day is, and I'm sorry to say this, gents, but uh, the female attention to detail with training is a lot higher. So I learned that early on in my career when I was dealing with some netballers, their constant inquisitiveness and their rationale and their, their wanting to understand the why they're doing it and how it translates to their sport was phenomenal. I thought, how, how, how awesome is this, these keen, enthusiastic learners? Where sometimes you get a group of guys together in regardless of if they're, you know, development, amateur, professional, whatever, um, and guys will end up just, you know, this is a weight on there, you just do it and, you know, just get the job done and do it and they won't even ask questions about it. So for me, uh, when it comes to the actual coaching side of it, I love coaching girls because they're far more inquisitive and they want to know why and it really challenges me in how I communicate and articulate accordingly. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And I, I also appreciate the level of detail in that response as well. I mean, having worked with female athletes in the past and then diving deeper into this, this is something that I actually talk about in one of my newer presentations. There's research to suggest, and you hit, you hit it nail on the head, that when it comes to, and, and I got to say this as a, as a disclaimer and a qualifier, when I'm, when I'm talking about male, female, we're talking about kind of this dimensional approach. So I'm not talking about a binary dichotomy where one is this and the other is that, right? But from- Yeah, absolutely. From and I know that's what you're alluding to too. But from this research within that context, it talks about on on ge, in general, females tend to be more big picture, whole like quote unquote. And this is the researchers' terms, their colloquialism, whole brained perspective. Right, their base reaction is one of feeling and intuitiveness. Their stress response tends to be tend and befriend, like you said, good vibes. Let's work together. It's more of a coalition. Um, they have a little bit more of this, like their survival strategy is almost like creating bonding relationships, community. They're they're hardwired to empathize where the research suggests on the other side in males, you know, there's this analytical linear systematic approach. And it, it's fascinating because it's actually Sasha Barone Cohen's, I think, cousin, Simon Barone Cohen. He, he looks at uh, the autism spectrum and he notices that males by and large are way more likely. I mean, it's a tremendous difference to be autistic because testosterone, the presence of that in vitro tends to lend itself down that pathway. And anyway, without getting down that, their stress response, as opposed to women being tend and befriend, more fight and flight, like you said, Nate, going into battle and war and it's pound the rock and grind the stone and eat their faces, yeah. right? Um, yeah, yeah. They have this big self-interest in power and competition instead of community. You know, Am I hearing you correctly? And is that lining up with what you're saying in a general sense, Nate? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, 100% spot on. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's no questioning, you know, either's commitment and, and so forth. And, mate, it's, yeah, I find it extremely fascinating. And, yeah, there's, like I said to you before, it's one of those things that I certainly thrive in an environment like this where um, I'm continually pushed and, and the wanting to know why and that bigger picture that you just mentioned is, yeah, it's spot on. I love it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because the deeper you go down that rabbit hole, and this is a, a big part of why I wanted to talk to you today. It's just, it, it is fascinating that when you look at, you know, we found that when it comes to structure and function of the brain, like males tend to be, well, anybody is born with more neurons than they keep. 
And then like we all undergo this, what they call apoptosis, which is like this pruning of neurons and testosterone reduces the rate of pruning. So like when you dissect the male brain, technically males have a third more neurons than females, but they also then go on to say that no single like neuroanatomical structure determines any kind of intelligence. So that's what I found fascinating is even though there's differences like morphologically and brain size and neuronal development and all that, they really just still find that variants in architecture are capable of producing equivalent intellectual performance. And so I think that's something that just gets lost on people as they feel like there's just because there's dimensional differences, people get up in arms and think that you're making some statement. And it's like, no, like I'm just saying just yeah, like, exactly. just like teaching a 13 year old is different than a 36 year old. There's going to be some differences, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and if you look back at the, the whole educational system, you know, it's one of those things when you talk about co-ed schools versus single sex schools, it's, you know, they respond differently. And I've been fortunate enough to work in both. So I've seen how both unfold. And um, yeah, no, it's spot on. So given that, what what mistakes do you think, you know, just the average listener, or let's imagine intern, somebody that's kind of fresh, they're green, um, and, and they're, they're still kind of trying to figure out their way around this. Maybe they haven't worked with that many uh, athletes of the opposite sex. Like, what are, what are some early pointers you'd say? Imagine, and let's just use me as an example, right? Let's say I'm over there, I'm watching you, I've never coached before in my life, I'm getting ready to lead a group, I've shown myself to be, you know, trustworthy and competent in most scenarios, and, and, and you're giving me some tips, and I'm really great. What are some general things you're just saying like, hey, be conscious of these five things or these three things. Is there anything specific there, Nate? Uh, the first I'd probably say is uh, just as far as, so one of the approaches that I do as well is, uh, so if we're about to go into a specific, you know, mesocycle uh, targeting a specific thing, like if you want to talk about velocity-based training or, you know, max strength, whatever, yep. uh, is actually presenting that to, you know, the girls. So. Um, so in that environment, so what you're referring to there is I'd certainly look at, you know, I've done it with blokes as well. And uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I just prefer, as we referred to earlier on, in going bigger picture items. So if, if the athletes know what's coming up ahead, it allows them to get their head around it of how they can try and, you know, uh, understand it, take it on board, process it prior to rolling it out. Uh, as opposed to in a lot of teams uh, that a, I've done personally and that I've seen as well is, you, you know, athletes will just come in and you just say, the, here's a program, go for it. Um, and, you know, some athletes might not even realize there's a difference between strength and power and whatever. Um, but for me, it's certainly, you know, that educational thing because something that I constantly refer to is if as a coach, you're also an educator. So what I mean by that is at some stage in an athlete's career, they're going to uh, possibly not make the team anymore or they're going to be you know, cut or not re-signed or whatever. Um, and if that athlete is left to their own you know, training device and they don't understand what type of training to do when and the rationale behind it, then to me, I think we've failed as coaches. So if we can educate them accordingly, that would be the first thing um, and, and go down that path. So I'm not sure if that answers it specifically, but that, that would be first and foremost, particularly in this space. Yeah, I think that helps. I th Listen, I, I, I'm just fascinated in the whole thing because people, you know, it's been a hot topic, not only how to coach and relate differently uh, across these domains, but also people think, well, what about periodization? And I, I love what one woman said. I can't remember. I think Dave Tate was interviewing her, uh, competitive lifter, either power lifter or weight lifter. If she's listening, I apologize. It was just a clip that I ran through, but she was saying, you know, she was talking about just even as, as, as females deal with their menstrual cycle, right at different ages, she's like, you know what, like, I don't get caught up on that. And I've never wanted my coach to kind of periodize different based on that, because like, 
everybody, male or female, has days where they feel like shit. She's like, I don't sit there and like try to internalize what's going on with my physiology. I just think of it like, okay, here's a day that I've got to downregulate. And and I think that's the key, right? Like to addressing these things is like, you don't need to like, I think some people, they, they almost wear a different mask. They're almost almost like too hesitant. And it's like, listen, it's all the same animal. I think it was Luann Brizendine. She said, you know, more than 99% of male and female genetic coding is exactly the same. Now, even though that percentage difference, that small percentage difference influences every cell in our body, a lot of it is more from the perception, thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And if a coach is act, acting hesitant or weird or they're not sure what to bring up and how to talk about it, I think that influences the training almost than how you navigate some of these, uh, you know, periodization strategies around, uh, you know, some of those physiological variables. But I also do understand that that's a, that is a different beast. How do you navigate that? Where, where do you look at that in the domain? Yeah, is that... That, that, yeah. So, uh, firstly, just in regards to what you're talking about there, with the, you know the periodization and training strategies and so forth, with uh, you know the differences there, I think that's you know that's an exciting space because there's a lot of research out there. I know you know um, in Britain they did that for one of their Olympic uh, cycles as well, and, and ended up getting a gold medal. I think it was a hockey team or something of the sort. So, um, where they base their training around all those hormonal responses and fluctuations throughout a, a month and. Uh, I find that fascinating. I don't think anyone's really hit it on the head because the reality is at, at some stage, you know, um, when I, I asked that question several years ago uh, with a friend of mine who was working in uh, women's sport at the time and he was like, well, at the end of the day, the, the girls got to go out and compete regardless. Right, right. So, right. Um, and, that, and, that was, and that was the mentality too that the girls had. So they were like, you know, they, they were all ready for, you know, to go out and, and battle on the field irrespective of where they were at and so forth so i thought yeah that's an interesting one too so uh, i don't think anyone's really hit it on the head but it's definitely you'll see a lot of things coming up now and people will that'll be the, that's one of the first questions that i get asked about how we're doing it and now uh one of our interns uh who recently finished up she presented a great presentation on that and and how you could train in the optimal environment but as we both know there's a difference between research and the practical sides of coaching so um, that yeah, that that's the first thing when it comes to that. But when you're talking about the actual, uh, you know, the communication or you know how you program and and with this particular population, the best experience I ever had, hands down, was when I worked as a personal trainer in a fitness studio, and the two owners, the two women owners, they had a particular system of how they wanted people trained. So. They wanted the session to flow. They wanted to, you to finish the session. And then it was a partner-facilitated uh, stretch to finish the session. So in my mind, I was raw as. I was like a you know, 19, 20-year-old university student. You know, I went to a single-gender uh, school. And so here I am laying on the floor stretching these women clients. And I felt, I really felt awkward doing it. Like I felt uncomfortable doing it. I was like, I don't know this person. I'm in their personal space. And 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 the two ladies who ran it, they they were awesome. They they just said to me, you know what, Nathan, you're overthinking this, mate. You just got to get in there, you know, do what you need to do. And no one's, you know, they're not feeling awkward about this. This is part of our system, and this is part of our our methodology of how we want our clients trained. And and it was a really good sounding board and reassurance that, um, you know, I did I didn't want to, you know, uh, get called out for anything or, you know things like that and, and the ladies are just like no like just go for it don't beat around the bush and that was something that I, I learned early when it came to that it was just get just just don't dance around any conversations when it comes to this sort of thing that's the reality of it that's how you coach this is how I find that I get the best response you know how do you feel about that 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you asking me? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I, I'm yeah, saying yeah, in general, yeah, yeah. when you when you're coaching athletes, it's it's a reciprocal, you know, relationship when it comes to that. You know, some athletes respond better to some things and and not to others. But it's one of those things, as you highlighted earlier, we can't dance around that. So, um, you know, the longer you try and you know be sensitive and politically correct, I, I don't think there's necessarily a reason to be it. No, I yeah, I agree. I mean, there's there are some circumstances where people are aloof. Now, I'm I'm going to share this story just for comedic effect, right? So this doesn't really have to do. Uh, I'm not refuting what you said at all, but I remember you know really early on when I started my career and I was I was working with um, uh, an organization and we had a bunch of female athletes in and this intern and it was the type of intern again, nice kid, but just read every blog under the world uh, under the sun and you know I, I don't think really had some great social skills as is evident by what I'm about to tell you in this story and you know this uh, he he loved the the catchphrase at the time was like your glutes firing got to get your glutes firing right everybody was talking about glutes at this point in time and you know he, w- he was going over to this athlete and she was a tennis player and he was like trying to like palpate you know and he wasn't like being uh he wasn't doing anything that he shouldn't have done he was just probably like doing it too frequently but you know he, he kind of pokes at her glute meat and he's like you know you should feel it here you should feel it here now that was enough right like we already go through yeah. the whole like hey make sure you have the you know, consent and you're cool like you know yeah. physical and, and whatever but then he keeps doing it and he keeps doing it and eventually and anybody would have got pissed like a dude anybody and this person goes sweetheart you poke me there one more time and we're going to have words. And this kid just turned purple and he's like, I'm terrified of working with females. I go, bro, that had nothing to do with the fact that she's a female that had everything to do with every five seconds. You're over coaching, like chill out. Um, Yeah. And and just like another note, I, I think it's funny. And I'd like to ask you this, Nate, have you ever been coached by a woman? Like in any capacity, it doesn't even have to be like training wise in anything. Have you ever been coached by a woman other than your marriage? (laughs) um oh i think mainly professionally that that's about it as far as like i mentioned to the you know earlier on in my career from a sport perspective i um i can't think of any off the top of my head to be honest there's a lot to digest in this episode so far i think you guys would agree and one of the things that makes this podcast unique hopefully is the fact that I encourage you guys to stop periodically, make sure you're hidden pause, take notes, or find five different ways you can apply something that somebody's told you in this podcast. So during this break, I also want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor, as always, Momentus. Momentus is a big reason why I'm able to give you guys uh, you know, a lot of the free content that I try to give you, whether it's on this podcast, whether it's in different articles I share or anything else. And we try to make sure that we highlight not just who they are and what they do, but also what they have. Because I know you guys are busy. You don't always have the time to be able to look these things up, especially if you're driving. So we're going to talk about three main products Momentus offers just real quick. One is their standard way, and this is what's called Absolute Zero. Now, it's grass-fed whey isolate. It includes prohydrolase enzymes to help digestion. It's one of the things that right in the morning, it's it's what I'm going to tend to take. Uh, then they have Arc Fire, and this is meant to be the recovery after strength or intense workouts. This is also grass-fed whey isolate, a little bit of rice maltodextrin, D-ribose, 
uh, creatine monohydrate and includes L-glutamine and then also the prohydrolase enzyme blend, which again, if you're somebody that typically has trouble digesting whey or any kind of issue with dairy in general, this really makes this a non-event. I know this because my wife and my father have both had issues digesting some form of dairy or whey in the past and both are able to use this without any issue as are many of my athletes the majority of which forget to eat breakfast the half the time. And this is something that we work on constantly, just getting them to eat real food. But I always make sure that I have some sample facts, uh, packs of momentous with me so that I can get something in their system, whether it's that and a banana or anything else before we train. And then finally is Redshift. Now, Redshift is really about recovery after endurance workouts. And we'll do separate profiles on this in future episodes. This is grass-fed whey isolate, rice maltodextrin, D-ribose, potassium citrate, and also the enzyme blend. Now, the point here is no matter what you're looking for, no matter what your goals are, it's just a matter of finding which combination of these and the timing of these is going to work best for you. But remember, they are all NSF for sport approved. They're all informed choice approved. Guys, it's the only company I've ever gotten behind, you know, publicly in, in this way, because it's the only one that I've ever been able to put my full weight of endorsement behind. I, you know, I, I'm not a big product guy. I'm not a big supplement guy. I try to just encourage like, hey, are you, are you eating? Are you hydrating? Are you sleeping? But even with my schedule and as much as I travel, I realize that we all do need support of some kind. I think Momentus does an excellent job of that in an ethical, high-quality way. So uh, if, if you meet any of their team, make sure to thank them. Make sure to at least learn more about them. And now we're going to get back to the episode. Uh, the only reason I bring that up is, so when I competed in boxing in college, my, my main coach, her name was Larissa. She was, right. she was, she was a woman. And so when I competed, uh, and, and I'd got my boxing license and what have you, you know, she owned a gym is called KO boxing in Manhattan, Kansas. I, I don't know if it's still around. I'm sure it is, you know, and, uh, I, I was coached by her and you know what, man, I never once thought about that. I went in and yeah, it was, it was exactly. just, it was just a coach, you know, and there was never like what I appreciated about her is she never kind of overdid it to try to like you know, uh, like some people kind of, uh, you know, like working with female interns in the past, like if they helped me with an NFL group or what have you, they almost kind of coached with a chip on their shoulder. And yeah. this is something I talk about in conscious coaching, you know, Jennifer Noyles contributed chapter. And she's like, my best advice with that is like, if you're a female coach, never do that. Like, don't just like do you. And that's what I appreciate it. But I think it's valuable. I think it's valuable. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. Like people need to go out and get coached one in domains that are not your own. So if you're, you know, in physical preparation or performance in any capacity, I don't care if you're a therapist or whatever, like go get coached by somebody that is not that like go take a cooking class, a dancing class, whatever. And, you know, like open yourself to those opportunities. Cause I think that stuff, man, I think it's gold for teaching. Do you, do you open your, like outside of your work, Nate, is there anything you get involved in? Do like, do you pay for a coach in anything? Have you ever done that? Or is it mainly always kind of uh, you doing your own con ed and, and nobody leading that? Uh, no, like, oh yeah. Over the years, there's been a lot of it for now that you actually say it, it, it has actually tipped me off. Cause I've done those things that you're talking about. So, uh, keep it to yourself. Obviously don't tell anyone. No, which ones have you done? Which ones have you, you did ballet? You did ballet? No. So yeah, I've, I've actually been through, you know, 
you know, dancing classes and all those sort of things. Uh, and I, like I said, now that you say it, yeah, there was a, women instru- a woman instructor there, cooking classes as well. These are things that I've done throughout the years with my relationships. And um, yeah, so actually now that you, you say it, yeah, I definitely have actually. So I, I, I just didn't think of it in that context. Yeah, but, well, but and the reason I bring that context up is because I think people, when they have these debates, oh, should I coach this person differently, that person differently? You know, I, I think sometimes people need to remove themselves from the conversation and be like, go get coached by somebody else and watch what they do. You know, watch, yeah. do you feel like they coach the room differently? Do you agree? And it's not a matter of whether you agree with it or not. It's it's letting somebody else take the lead and looking at what other people do. How do they interact? Like I know something I'm doing right now where I have a coach, you know, not only uh, is this person a female, but she uh, she's homosexual. And so like, she's got a different orientation and you know what? Nobody in the class thinks anything of it. Nobody thinks anything. Yeah, exactly right. They just yeah, coach everybody. Like, they coach seriously, everybody. Seriously, I know. Like it, it just irks me. Like I, I don't understand in this day and age why those things matter. I really don't. Like, yeah. But yeah, really, you do. Yeah, just, you do. Like to be real, it right? It doesn't it's, matter. But it's the same thing with the training. It's the same thing with the training. Yeah. Like that's how I feel and, about and, when people want to be like, are you about front squat versus back squat, or are we doing like, are you using velocity or this? And like it's. When people want things to be one way, I'm of the opinion that they're getting farther away from the answer and they just hide behind yeah. that. But what about the research? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and then, and, you know, and kind of just on that, that's kind of a good segue into, I suppose, from a, a for people with a uh, the roles that you take as well. It works that way too as far as there's going to come a time where when you talk about um, the, you know, being coached by somebody else, you kind of get to the stage where, all you're doing is coaching everybody else. And I know a lot of great coaches who, you know, seek other coaches to write their programs, yep. to, you know, do sessions that, you know, a training buddy and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's the same as with your career. So, you know, as, as an example, in my career, um, I went from being, a, you know, a, a man- in managerial roles, for, as I mentioned, with gyms and so forth to, you know, while I, I was trying to get that full-time S&C, you know, crack, um, into more hands-on coaching and then it, it ended up flipping again going into the managerial role and uh, and on that too is what I found the biggest challenge in that was delegating you know taking a step back and delegating and trying to build those other development coaches along the way and letting them fail along the way but then it got to the stage where for me uh, I was like okay well I've done all the man when I say not all I've done the managerial side of it but I'm not actually learning as a coach now so then what ended up happening too is uh, where I ended up, I uh, was fortunate enough to have Lockie Wilmont. Uh, oh, don't bring him up. Don't give him free advertising. Don't give him free advertising. He's not a sponsor. <laughs> don't give the Wolf of Wall Street Australia. Oh, no, no, no. And, uh, no, so what I mean by that is when you talk about, um, you know, being essentially flipping the strip. So Lockie went from being, you know, strength and power for, you know, a, a long time in professional sport and I was in it from a managerial side. But if I want to, test myself and continue to evolve as a coach if I didn't find that I was learning in that managerial space then why not flip the script on it so I go into working as a member of his team watching him evolve as a manager and then me um, you know evolving as a coach and trying to you know pick his brain and how I can improve this and how I can improve that and I've got no doubt that there were times where he's looking at me going why are you asking me this question Um, but you know what the thing is man is it was exciting to see him evolve as a manager and me hone my craft and him warm to that, you know, ability of me asking those questions to continually evolve as a coach. So um, it's just one of those things, like I said, you've got to evolve as a coach. And 
I've certainly done it. And like, and when you say about going to somebody else and having them coach you and, and things like that in a variety of different things, it doesn't have to be in the athletic development arena. Then that's just you developing you as a coach and as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a mouthful. I'd say this too, and so I've seen this difference, right? And this is just my experience and what have you. But even looking at males and females as coaches, so I run this. Uh, we run these two day events called uh, the Art of Coaching Apprenticeship. And there, there's four parts to this, right? Nate, like there's, there's case studies, there's lectures, there's these kind of improv-based breakouts where we use real kind of situations, but we kind of put different constraints on them. Like they're either constrained by uh, the resources you have access to, the time you have to complete a task, whatever. And everybody's kind of got a role to play. So there's a little bit of like role-playing uh, with her as well. And then we do video reviews. So we, we review different aspects of the social side of coaching. So how well people manage aspects of body language language and uh, verbal fluency, how well they dealt with conflicts and distraction. Cause we throw, we throw the kitchen sink at them, right? Like the whole point is to get coaches um, engaging in some kind of facilitated guided um, chaos that represents coaching in a heightened sense because people, you know, you're always going to deal with some kind of difficult attitudes or constraints or constrictions. Coaching doesn't happen in a box. So anyway, when we do this, Nate, when we put both uh, female coaches and male coaches on the spot and we intermix, we almost always find that the female coaches are way more open to criticism. And now this, this, uh, like these events aren't made to like nobody, we're not trying to make anybody like a cardboard cutout. There's not necessarily a right answer. It's more just, Hey, here's a pure observation of how you handled X, Y, or Z. Um, we're going to line that up with your self-evaluation of how you handled this. We're going to watch video review. It's pretty cool, man. And almost every time, uh, you know, like a female coach would be like, yeah, I can see that. Or, yep, I can. And, and they have ideas. Whereas like sometimes the guys coach, guy coaches are like, well, I did that because of this. They're very quick to assert themselves. Yeah. Very yeah, yeah. quick. And it's like, yo, like, no, I'm not sitting here like I'm Shao Kahn trying to like pass judgment on whether you're the greatest coach in the world or not. Like, it's like sketch comedy, right? Like if anybody ever seen Whose Line Is It Anyway, it's like that. Like you're almost kind of in this position where, we're, we're not trying to have a perfect outcome. We're just trying to show you some scenarios where you may be lacking or emotions get the best of you, or maybe uh, you weren't listening closely enough. And we're all subject to it, man. Dude, I lead these workshops and I'm not perfect. That's the fun of it. But a lot of the women come and they love it. They enjoy themselves. They're really open to feedback. Guys, like I saw one coach kind of like almost get into it because a coach who was younger, you know, gave him feedback that he didn't agree with. And it became an argument about who had more experience. And it's like, yo, don't, don't come to events like this. If this is what you're going to do, like there's a difference between discourse and defensiveness, but that's what I found. I mean, what do you see when you're uh, mentoring Nate or even just interacting with male and female coaches of how they respond to criticism or growth? Like, do you see uh, anything unique there? Uh, oh, not, not specifically to be honest, but the one that like what you said, I think, holistically when you look at it irrespective of gender in, in that regard it's more a matter of um and this is where what i revert back to what i said originally my mindset is what i would think of the norm compared to a lot of others is um i i, I have no problem in saying that i'm wrong yeah. and when it comes to uh learning and, and I, one other thing is i have no problem in saying that i don't know but i'll certainly find the answers to figure out why or what the outcome of it is so um i think a lot of people uh, there's two things to this. The first one is, um, if you use the example of what you're referring to before, is 
a lot of people's egos get in the way and then it just becomes blinded in their work. So if you, it's, it's not a competition. It's a matter of how you can, so what you referred to is how can you evolve as a coach and if that feedback is confronting, it needs to be confronting and it's probably a reason why it is confronting, okay, because you probably need to change that. But here's the thing. A lot of coaches don't have the emotional intelligence to figure that out. So if you are that individual who gets upset with people giving you feedback, then try and take a step back before you actually go into battle and you know beat your chest and all the rest of it. It doesn't matter. Well, what does matter is how you learn from it and evolve. Yeah. And that's why when it comes to you know in professional sport, the stakes are higher. You know you're dealing with athletes you know worth a lot more money. You know you're dealing with people's livelihoods on the line and all the rest of it. And 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 this is where the the best leaders I feel are the ones who put their ego to the side and it's a matter of evolving and how can we get not only the best out of our athletes but how can our team and performance team that is continue to evolve because if you have a group of people whose egos are constantly blinding their work then it's not actually productive it's not conducive and then all it does is set people up to fail people will sit on the fence and they don't actually make decisions and what happens from that is it's kind of leaving people out to dry Spot on. And that like you, you hit it nail on the head, the self-reflection and just the honesty with yourself. And that's why I created the apprenticeship is it was like, Hey, there is no perfect answer here. This isn't yeah. like, we're not, we're not talking about like, we're not debating whether you should use the hook grip or not in the cleaner snatch. This is like, we're creating situations where all of us will inherently fail to some degree because elements of it are improv. But what we're driving is the conversation. We're driving the conversation and the tool even we use to, to, um, you know, evaluate, like people could argue, Oh, is it valid? Is it reliable? Listen, some tools like don't need to cure everything under the sun. Some tools just need to highlight and spotlight a few things that you can get better at. And that, you know, give you some feedback at the end of the day that drive deeper discussions, especially the ones we're scared to have as leaders. And I found, and I'd be interested in your take on this, you know, getting out of the coaching side, this is just a leadership thing, right? Like you've seen a lot of different aspects of leadership in an organization with everybody you've worked with. Uh, what, you know, what do you feel like, I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this. How do you feel like those that are out of the direct coaching domain, maybe the general managers, maybe club ownership, maybe even the sponsors of the club, whatever. Do you watch them, Nate? Do you kind of see how they tackle some things? Do you see differences, similarities? What do you see in terms of the organizational underpinnings that you've worked with that have led some to be successful and some to kind of just, you almost feel like you're under a thumb or under a watchful eye the entire time? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I really like that, to be honest. So it's one of those things that the leadership and management side of things certainly um, inspires me. And that's what I, I look towards outside of coaching. So to answer your question on that, I think the biggest mistake that people make, I feel, is to be a good leader, you don't have to have the title and you don't have to have the paycheck to go with it. So what I mean by that is the most successful teams that I've worked with and, and in particular where I am right now, which is something that it genuinely excites me to get up to come to work each day is to be a good leader doesn't mean you're the big dog at the top. What it means is that you're playing your role within the team to get a successful outcome. So if that means that say your high performance manager or whatever has overlooked something or they haven't seen a situation that's about to arise, then 
it's up to the individuals within that team, as in if we call it a performance team, using this example, it's up to me or whoever, whether it be the intern, to if there's something that's going to arise or we're about to see that there's a hole or a crack or something like that, it's taking ownership for that to ensure that the cogs continue to spin along the way and we get a successful outcome. Okay, so the, the thing with this is if you hire the right people, they will be inspired and have enough emotional intelligence to get the best out of themselves. If they make a mistake, they will be accountable for it themselves. They don't need that pointed out to them. So that it's not a finger pointing exercise. What it ends up becoming is um, like a nuclear of just everyone being harnessed to continually grow, adapt, evolve, and that transpires into a successful organization. So it doesn't matter if you're the high performance manager, it doesn't matter if you're the intern. It's about you playing your role and understanding that because the reality of it is if we put it into a sporting context, not everyone can kick the field goals, not everyone can score the touchdown or tries, but at the end of the day, that's what creates a successful a win or a loss, right? So from a management perspective, it's how you understand where leadership sits because the reality of it is some of the best coaches and so forth are never going to be high performance managers or you know, some of the best business managers in organizations are never going to be CEOs of the company. But they might be very good at what they do and it's how they play that role in, in order to ensure that there is success within that organization. So to answer your question, the best leaders that I've seen are the ones who allow people to have that free will to do their job without wandering rogue. So it's all a part of the bigger picture. But at the end of the day, they hold themselves accountable. That way, there's no behavioral management. There's no performance management or anything of the sort. It's just continually moving forward and getting the best results for the team as a whole, whether that be you know wins, losses, or actually developing a program as a whole. Do you think that's tough though, Nate? I mean, like the holding yourself accountable piece, you know, again, thinking about the average listener and thinking about maybe things that you do, thinking about like how do you hold yourselves accountable? How do you hold yourself accountable? And what system of checks and balances do you think leaders need to have? In general, again, don't worry about like, thinking of the system, right? This isn't the one that somebody's yeah. going to etch on your tombstone. But I, I, like, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I think people are just swept up in this positivity movement. They're very quick to move on, right? I don't think people really hold themselves accountable as much. I think, and it's a fine line, right? Like you don't want to punish yourself, like doubt, like oh, every five seconds you're degrading yourself and what have you. But like, I, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like people pass the buck. Is there something that you think works really well from an accountability standpoint that's that's helped you and that you suggest with people? Uh, I, I just think you generally need to constantly, it's just self-reflecting. Uh, I Like I said before, I, I kind of don't know how many other people do this, how many other people reflect on certain things. And, uh, so, do you journal, you know, Nate? Like, do you I, journal I, when I, you do I, that? What's that, sorry? Like, do you journal? Like, I hear you with this self-reflecting, but like, it, for you, is that a journal? Is that something else? Like, what is that for you? Yeah, so, uh, yes and no, yeah. So, in the, I, I do, I know, you, you know, you've, we've had discussions about this in the past when it comes to, you know, stoic philosophy and all the rest of it. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, that's a, a journal that I, I complete on, on the daily and that's a reflection as me as an individual. So, what I mean by that is, you might have self-reflection as an individual. You might have self-reflection as a coach. So I gave a presentation on Friday night and it was filmed. So I come back and I look at that, watch the filming. Is my body language up to scratch or what I would deem to be up to scratch for an audience looking at it? Is my pitch, tone, all the rest of it 
is that what I would like sitting there in the audience as a member of the audience presenting it? Some people have a mindset using that example that they just go, well, this is what I want to present. And it's like, well, no, did the audience get those things from your presentation that you want? So the self-reflection is a big thing. But once again, like I was referring to before, you, you have to hire the right people for it. And I know it sounds cliche to say that, you know, we're in the people business. We are. Okay. So if you're confrontational, you don't have any, or you don't self-reflect in any way, shape or form, and, you know, your emotional intelligence is challenged, then how much do the people around you really want to work with you? Because at the end of the day, we're one of the very few careers where we're surrounded by people day in, day out, week in, week out. And it is tiring within itself. It's very consuming. And if you're one of those individuals, then, you know, it, it, people won't want to be around it. It won't last because of that. It just becomes too challenging. Yeah, I think it's tough too because I don't think a lot of coaches, leaders, whatever, have patience. I think a lot of times, there, I mean, there's people listening to this podcast right now that they're going to listen to it when they go to work. They're going to listen to it when they go home. Um, and it's just, I, I've said it before, it's just intake. And they just kind of have this attitude of like, all right, I'm 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 either in the entry stages of my career now, or maybe I'm in this stage. I mean, it's just day by day. It's either an advanced coach, you know, going home to their family and they've got to do X, Y, and Z. So they very rarely make time for this stuff. Or it's a younger coach and he just feels like he's got to do what he's been told and grind, 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 grind. I don't think people slow down. And I think it's hard because I'm one of those people. Um, I think that, uh, you know, doing this podcast forces me to slow down. I think creating my courses, what I found is creating things is my reflection because it makes me put what I think down or out there in some medium, whether that is YouTube or the podcast or the courses or, or conscious coaching. And then it's there. Like it was, it was hard for me to journal personally, uh, because I felt like, and this was an insecurity of mine, but I felt like, um, words come to me way more quickly than I can ever write them down. And so when I journaled, I felt like, you know what, I don't want to have to worry about handwriting and the quality of my penmanship and all this. I just want to get thoughts out. But I almost like Nate couldn't do that. Cause I was fearful that someday, like, I don't know when I pass away, somebody would find the journal and be like, this dude was an idiot, you know, cause like <laughs> it, it just, this medium fits me. And, uh, I think people just got to find what fits them. You know, that reflection can come in many forms. Would you agree? Yeah, totally agree. A hundred percent. It's, it's the same as with learning, right? Some people are visual learners. Some people are more kinesthetic learners. And it's just about, about finding that balance of a, what triggers you and, and how you can continually reflect in a way that it doesn't become a burden because, a lot I've looked into different courses along the way and even say with different meditative practices that uh, if, you, if it doesn't suit you or your mindset or, or how you take in and digest information, then it does become a burden and, and that ends up being an external, an extrinsic stress or So if you've got all these, you know, it, if you walk into your, you know, you're at home and you've got your self-reflection checklist on the fridge and there's 10 things on there and you get to the end of the day and you've done three of them and there's seven remaining and you're about to go to bed, then to me, that is stressful within itself. So it's a matter of what's feasible and what inspires you to actually engage and be able to take that on board. And, you know, that, that, that comes into with ego as well. So Yeah, man, I think that's great. Well, listen, Nate, you have 
knocked it out of the park with everything I had for you, man. And it was nice because this is just like organic discussion. I think that's one thing I really value about our friendship is whether this was recording or not, this is kind of how we talk, right? And um, I I appreciate your thoughtful answers and you going in depth. Nate, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn from you, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Uh, I think probably, yeah, the simplest way would probably be uh, if we look at, I know the social media thing, but it's probably the uh, the quickest way would just be Nathan underscore Parnham is my handle on Instagram and just send me a direct message. I'd love to hear people and I'd love to hear, you know, if people are in agreement and disagreements as well based on other people's experiences. At the end of the day, this is just my experience and journey along the way. Right. And I think that's something that I always try to tell people too is, uh, you know, it's fine if you disagree, but then put skin in the game and put your thoughts out there in a way that, you know, is, is more than just a comment on a social media post, right? I think that we live in a society where anonymity has given people a lot of uh, uh, self-imposed like authority. Um, and you know what, like all this is a discussion, man. I think you did an excellent job and the research is out there. I mean, like no matter what people will say, all you got to do is coach. All you got to do is, and, and you covered it, right? It's not a, it's not a categorical thing. It's dimensional. All this stuff is, that's why this podcast is the art of coaching. Everything we're doing is an art guide guided by science, but it's going to be different. There's always context. And uh, man, I just, I appreciate you. And guys, remember his contact information will be in the show notes. Help Nathan out, support the podcast, share this with your friends, send it to people that agree, disagree, people that will be happy about it, people that'll get pissed off about it. It's all good. We're trying to drive discussion. Nate, any last words, man? No, that's it. Other than that, thanks very much for inviting me on the show, mate. And I just wanted to say I really appreciate everything that you've done for the industry because I know, you know, we talk about adapting and evolving and you were kind enough those years ago when I reached out to you to give me up your time, you know, every month for the for the listeners out there. Brett gave up every month. We'd sit down and talk for, or not sit down, but Skype for 30 minutes to an hour. And, and Brett did that out of his own time. It was all voluntary. I never gave him anything in return. It was just genuine conversation about his experiences and, Mate, your fearlessness in, in how you go about approaching our industry is certainly inspirational. It's made me get off my ass and, and do things. And, and I know there's a lot of other people who talk really positively about how fearless you are with it. And, and I think it needs to continue, mate. So hat off to you. And yeah, don't worry about the haters, man. Just keep doing your thing. I appreciate that, buddy. All right, guys. Until next time, this is the Art of Coaching Podcast. And thanks for listening. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, glad I caught you. Listen, there's a lot of people that think that I just have social media, podcasts, and and YouTube. Guys, there are so many more resources uh, if this stuff interests you. Um, First of all, if you haven't checked out the book, I'd be honored if you would. It's on Amazon worldwide. It's called Conscious Coaching. Uh, We have a free field guide. There's so many resources I try to provide online, free eBooks, free downloads. If you just go to artofcoaching.com, check out the free resources. There's also online courses. So whether you're interested in the coaching, communication, psychology side, we have an online course called Bought In. Uh, That is a great resource. It's research-backed, and it applies to every profession. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach. Literally, I use the term strength coach and athlete because that's what I do. But just like you read uh, an article or a book by a former Navy SEAL or somebody that owns a company in Silicon Valley, All these things are relatable to other fields. Also, if you're looking more into career management, whether that's you trying to learn more about marketing, contract negotiation, networking, resume writing, 
all these things that go into the messiness of trying to create and cultivate a sustainable career, we have a course for that as well. It's called Valued. Both of those are found on artofcoaching.com. Remember, the podcast and all these other things, you know, they're I can only share so much and we try to do it in so many other mediums. So please, I'd be honored at your support. We try to make sure and donate a percentage of the proceeds every year to either fight Alzheimer's, uh, cancer research. We, uh, we donate to local police forces. We try to do a lot of different things and we can only do that with your support. Thanks again for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy those resources.